Welcome to Anchored by Truth, brought to you by Crystal Sea Books. In John 14.6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Our goal is to encourage everyone to grow in the Christian faith by anchoring themselves to the secure truth found in the inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word of God. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Soko and Azekah and Ephesdamim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah, and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, with a valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was five thousand shekels of bronze. He had bronze armor on his legs, and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. 1 Samuel chapter 17 verses 1 and 6 English Standard Version As Jesus drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging, and hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 18, verses 35 through 43, English Standard Version. Hello! Welcome to another episode of Anchored by Truth, brought to you by Crystal Sea Books. I'm Victoria Kay in the studio today with R.D. Fierro, author and founder of Crystal Sea Books. Today, we're going to start a new discussion series based on one of the most famous and beloved episodes in the Bible, the story of David and Goliath. And to help us do that, we're going to use another of Crystal Sea Books' Life Lessons with a Laugh humor series. But just like when we did our series on Noah and the Ark, we want to look at the story from a slightly different perspective, right? Absolutely correct. We want to use the life lessons with the laugh sketches to start each week on a lighter note, but we want to use the story of David and Goliath to help illustrate a more basic point, the big point that we're really trying to make on Anchored by Truth, that the Bible is the inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word of God. 
And part of what that means is that each story within the Bible, each part of the Bible, in fact, each word of the Bible has an important place in the overall story of the creation, fall, and plan of redemption. So, tell us part of what that means before we actually get into the life lesson. Well, when I read the Bible stories, I always try to remember that God, through the human authors, recorded that particular episode or that particular story for a reason. The stories within the Bible aren't just a random, haphazard set or collection of stories. God is a God of order, design, plan, and purpose. He doesn't do anything without having a very good reason for doing so, and He doesn't do anything arbitrarily or capriciously. So as amazing as it is to think about it, God put every story in the Bible to teach us or help us in some way. Each and every one was carefully selected by God is part of his special plan of revelation as part of his overall purpose. And in addition to that, and this is really mind-boggling, God knew every person who would ever read every story in the Bible. So there is always something that each of us can learn every time we go to the Bible. No matter how many times we've read a particular story, each time we go back to the Bible, God has something new or something additional that he can show us or teach us. So when I read a Bible story, in order to help me to place that story within the Bible in its larger context, I try to keep five attributes of Bible stories in mind as I read them or as I reread them. All right. I'm sure we're going to discuss more about those attributes after the life lesson. But just as an appetizer, what are the attributes? Well, I approach them in this order. History, prophecy, ancestry, unity, and relevance, or relevancy if you want to keep the endings consistent. We do like consistency (laughs) here at Crystal Sea. With that, here's a humorous introductory look at the story of David and Goliath. Hi, I'm R.D. Fierro from Crystal Sea Books. Here today with that example of ergonomic excellence, fan of farfalle, phenom of physical proportions. Uh, Jerry. Absolutely, J-Man, absolutely. Jerry. We're here from the worldwide headquarters of Crystal Sea Books to bring you another life lesson from the Bible. Today, we want to talk about the big fight between David and Gorilla Breath. I think you mean Goliath. Right. That's what I said. Goliath. Now, pretty much everybody knows the fight setup. Armies of Israel on one side of the Valley of Elah, Philistines on the other side. Then the gargantuan from Gath decides he wants to polish up his resume. So he struts his stuff in front of the entire assemblage. Wait, he does what? He struts his stuff. He struts his stuff. He struts his stuff. He struts his stuff. Challenging any Hebrew to come take him on and put an end to the whole war. I mean, he does this every day for 40 days. That's more days than some people use their gym memberships. Dirty towels go in the orange bin. If you came more often, you'd know that. He must have really been motivated to stay on the same kick for that long. Maybe he had a performance bonus in his warrior contract. You know, so much for completed spear throws or so much for fast results. Mm, Don't know, J-Man. I'm not an expert on 11th century B.C. Philistine performance contracts. But what I have done is analyze the results of the fight. You analyzed something? That would be a surprise. As you recall, the fight didn't go well for the Gath Grumbler. Him dying and losing his head and all. 
After my analysis, I think I've determined where Goliath made his mistake in his fight prep. I mean, really, where'd Goliath go wrong? Strategy, J-Man. Garbage Breath had really bad strategy. Dude, bad strategy? Really? Goliath had on armor with more metal than there is in a locomotive and a spear bigger than a railroad tie. He wasn't worried about strategy. Exactly, J-Man. Exactly. And that was his mistake. He thought the fight was all about steel and strength and power. David knew it was about fire and maneuver. He grabs five slick stones from a nearby creek and sets off to take down Goliath like putting a chainsaw on a rotten tree trunk. Goliath is just standing there with his shield bearer in front of him marking him out like a lighted signpost. Makes him an easy target to find and hit even on a huge battlefield. David is light and loose. David can shoot and scoop. Ooh, float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. Exactamundo, J-Man. Goliath loaded the world's weight on his back before he left home, and he thought the world would protect him. David didn't get weighed down by the world. David knew all he needed was God on his side. True that, true that. You know the Bible says the Word of God is living and active. So that's what David depended on, the word of God. Just before he took him down for the final count, David told Goliath that the Lord would do the conquering, even though he was the one coming at him. Wow, sort of gives you chills, doesn't it? Kind of like eating one too many double-stuffed cookies. Well said, J-Man, well said. You certainly have a way with words as well as cookies. David was active when he took on Goliath, so he lived. David's strategy was to depend on God. Garbanzo Breath's strategy was to depend on an oversized clunky metal coat and a 15-pound steel spearhead. When you think about it, no contest. So what you're saying is, Goliath acted like a thug, moved like a slug, and got crushed like a bug. Oh, J-Man, your gift for rhyme is exceeded only by your affection for baked sweets. So you see the point of the story. Totally, dude, totally. If you're going to take on the big bad world, you better prep first with some smooth rocks and powerhouse words from the Lord. Again, Gerenato, you have pulled an apple out of that great big barrel of biblical truth. The secret is not to worry about getting water in your ears. You got to dive right into it every day. Well, that's it from Jeremy. Oh, and it's still Jerry. Me, R.D., and the whole Crystal Sea Ramp crew for today. If you'd like to hear more, try out crystalseabooks.com where... We're not famous, but our boss is. Oh, I like that part. Goliath acted like a thug, moved like a slug, and got crushed like a bug. Even though the Bible says that Goliath was probably over nine feet tall, he was certainly no match for God, or for David when he moved out in the power of God. Yes, and that power of God is still available to us today. But to access it, just like David did when he was out in the fields taking care of the sheep, we have to develop our trust in God. And developing trust in God, developing real trust in God, takes energy and devotion on our part. True that. Let's get into those attributes of Bible stories that you mentioned earlier. You said that you use them when you're meditating on what a Bible story might mean. Right. To briefly remind everyone... I believe that the Bible is the inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word of God, 
But I recognize that everyone doesn't share that belief. I recognize that there are many people in the world who do not treat the Bible as the infallible, inspired Word of God. So part of what we want to do on Anchored by Truth is to provide evidence to our listeners that supports the belief in the inerrancy and inspiration of Scripture. And what we're doing is essentially a part of the command that's given to the church in 1 Peter 3.15 to be able to provide a reason for the hope that lies within us. So to do that, in an earlier episode, if you'll recall, we offered four lines of reasoning that we think help support the fact that the Bible is the Word of God. And those four lines of evidence were, one, the historical reliability of the Bible, two, the remarkable unity of the Bible, given that it was written by dozens of authors over a period of 1,500 years, three, the lives of people throughout history that have been changed for the better by studying the Bible, and lastly, the extensive volume of accurate, fulfilled prophecies that the Bible contains. Exactly. So the five attributes of Bible stories that I mentioned earlier are my approach to seeing how those lines of reasoning are represented by every episode in the Bible. But just a point of emphasis. This approach, the five attributes that I use, I use those for historical stories or vignettes within the Bible. But the Bible contains a lot of other forms of literature besides history. It contains parables and poetry. It contains practical, moral, and ethical instruction. So while some of the attributes may be helpful in looking at those other parts of the Bible, the extent of application of the attributes will be a little bit different depending on the type of literature we're talking about. Can you give us an example of when they wouldn't apply? Or at least when one or more of the attributes would be less applicable? Well, take the Ten Commandments, for example. The Ten Commandments are well known, and of course they form the central part of the ethical and moral instruction within the Bible. They're timeless, transcendent, and they apply to all people at all times throughout history. In order to understand the Ten Commandments properly, there are certainly some historical aspects to the commandments as to why they were given in the way that they were given. For instance, today we don't do much in the way of making carved or graven images of our God. But there was a time in history when, in fact, carved or graven images were commonly made by people. So if you think about the Ten Commandments, it's helpful to remember that there was a time, especially when the commandments were given, when making images of their gods was a common practice among peoples, especially among the pagan people that were in the land of Canaan, which when the commandment was given, it was during the exodus out of Egypt as the Hebrew people were on their way to Canaan to reoccupy it. So that's an example of the commandment about not to make graven or carved images of God. That's an example where a historical understanding of the time is helpful in understanding the way the commandment was given. But when you think about it, there's not much in the way of prophetic utterances that are included within the Ten Commandments. Although even in the Ten Commandments, prophetic utterance in a certain sense is not entirely absent. Because the fifth commandment says that we are to honor our fathers and mothers. But there's a warning that kind of goes along with that fifth commandment that says that your days will be long in the land. In other words, that your time on this earth and your time to the Hebrews in the land of Canaan would be one that would be a period of longevity. That's a little bit of a prophetic utterance in the Ten Commandments that says that if they obey the fifth commandment, that it would hearken well for their longevity. And it may just be a 
common admonition that when you honor your father and mother, you're going to display the appropriate kind of authority that you should attribute to other forms of human authority besides your father and mother. That's a good example. So let's dive a little deeper. When you think about history, what are you referring to? Well, the parts of the Bible that are intended to be taken as literal history should be examined as such. And as parts of literal human history, we can look to other disciplines besides Bible study that can help us have a better understanding of the stories within the Bible. Other disciplines such as archaeology or geology will help provide some information about the history of the earth, about the history of certain peoples, and therefore archaeology, geology, other scientific disciplines can be helpful in shedding some light on some biblical stories. Now, when I think about the history that we're concerned with, the history isn't just unidimensional because we can be concerned with the history of the particular group, tribe, or nation that's under consideration within that particular story. We can be concerned about the history of individuals within the story because even within some Bible stories, some names of people are recorded that do appear in extra-biblical accounts or do appear, for instance, on shards of pottery that are discovered in the Middle East. There are tablets, records of libraries that have been unearthed by archaeologists that actually contain the names of individuals and of places that are mentioned within the Bible. So you can have a history of the group or the tribe or nation. You can also have the history of the individual in the Bible story. But in addition, we can also have the history of what you might call the incidental details that the Bible records. So, for instance, in the story of David and Goliath, we're given a lot of details about Goliath's armor. So we can look to archaeology, we can look to historical descriptions to see whether or not the kind of armor that was described as being worn by Goliath, whether that kind of armor was in fact ever used and was ever used by soldiers of that time in that era. Okay, and now what about prophecy? Well, prophecy is sort of like history, but maybe in reverse. When we look at the history of the stories and the people within the Bible, we're looking backward in time, but at various points during the Bible's writing, various points during the Bible's compilation, there were prophecies, prophetic utterances made that would have applied to a time that was in the future of the time the prophetic utterance was made, even though to us they're now in the past. So in a certain sense, when I'm looking at a prophetic aspect of a Bible story, I'm looking to see two different things or two or three different things. One of the things that I've looked to see is about the peoples or the tribes or the nations that are the subject of the Bible story, what prophecy is contained within the Bible about those people? In other words, there might be places within the Bible other than just the Bible story I'm reading where there are prophetic utterances that are made about the particular nation or tribe that's under consideration. And this is particularly true of the time when David and Goliath were contesting each other because there are prophetic utterances about the nation of Philistia, where the Philistines came from, there are several other places within the Bible where there are prophecies made about Philistines. For instance, the book of Zechariah in 9.6 contains a specific prophecy that would apply to the nation of Philistia. Of course, there are also prophecies made about specific individuals. David is a very prominent figure in biblical history, and there is a, quite a bit of prophecy, if you will, about the individual, the person of David. It was prophesied, for instance, that one of David's descendants, one of David's distant children, would occupy a throne that lasts forever. David, of course, was the second king of Israel. He had taken over from Saul. 
And unlike Saul, when he disobeyed God, God ripped the throne away from Saul, and David was concerned about the same thing. But God made a promise to David that the throne would never depart from David's house, sometimes referred to as the Davidic covenant. So the fulfillment of that prophecy, the ultimate fulfillment of the prophecy that there would someday come a descendant of David who would sit on an eternal throne, was fulfilled in Jesus Christ, who was a direct lineal descendant of David. So we can look at the Bible to look about prophecies about groups, tribes, or nations, and we can look to stories or places within the Bible to discern the prophecies that concern specific individuals, and we can look to see whether those prophecies have already been fulfilled. In other words, they were future at the time the prophecy was made, but they're passed to us. Or we can look to see whether or not a portion of that prophecy is still unfulfilled, in which case we know that it will be fulfilled sometime in our future. There are also prophecies that are made within Bible stories that we can take that don't refer to tribes or nations, but if you will, to events. So, for instance, when we looked at Noah and the flood, we noted that God promised Noah that he would never again destroy the earth by means of water or a flood. So, that prophecy, that statement made by God was given on the order of 3,500 years ago. And the one thing we can know for sure is that since Noah's time, there's never been a flood that has destroyed all life on the earth. So, again, Prophecies that are recorded within individual Bible stories might concern the nation or the tribe, it might concern an individual, or they might just concern some form of event or some kind of prophetic utterance about what will happen to the world or to the peoples of the world in whole, such as the kind of prophecies that are contained within the book of Revelation. Well, all that makes sense, but I guess that leads to the next question. What is the difference in your thinking between history and ancestry? Well, when I'm talking about ancestry in my little five-point plan and pattern of the examination of a Bible story, I'm thinking specifically about the ancestry of Jesus. The Bible is a grand, huge, cosmic story. It's all about creation, fall, and redemption. Well, when you look at the Bible, the creation and the fall take up just three chapters of the very first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. The rest of the Bible after the fall is all about the plan of redemption, and certainly the central figure in the plan of redemption, and therefore the central figure in the Bible is Jesus. So we need to always examine every story in the Bible in the light of what it tells us about Jesus. What does it mean about Jesus' coming? What is it going to tell us about his life directly? We need to understand how that particular story in the Bible pertains to Jesus, because when we do so, It gives us a greater comprehension about Jesus, and it gives us a greater and better understanding of the role that Jesus would ultimately play in redemption and therefore in our salvation. So what you're saying is that if a central figure in the Bible is Jesus, and if Jesus is God's Son, which he is, it would only make sense that even parts of the Bible that were written before Jesus is born would still have something to do with him or point to him in some way. Some of the historical figures in the Old Testament would have been a direct ancestor of Jesus, like David and Ruth. And much of the Old Testament has to do with the Jewish nation and the Hebrew people, which would be the people and nation from which Jesus would come. And much of the Old Testament would point to the need for a Savior and the attributes that would mark his life, purpose, and ministry like the prophecies about where he would be born and how he would die. 
even some of the more difficult parts of the Old Testament, like the Levitical Code, would have important information about Jesus, like his role as the Passover lamb. Exactly. So all of the stories in the Bible have something to do with Jesus, and that's what I'm thinking about when I think about how ancestry applies to a particular historical episode. I'm thinking about how it applies to the ancestry of Jesus, and I want to think about, meditate on, what that story has to do with Jesus. Now, for some stories in the Bible, it's pretty simple, like the story of David and Goliath. It's not too hard to understand how that applies to Jesus. David was Jesus's lineal ancestor. David was the second king of Israel, and we call Jesus the king of kings. Jesus, we call him sovereign. When the Hebrews said that Jesus was the king of kings, that was a way of emphasizing that he was the ultimate king. And so it's pretty easy to see how David's life and his kingship, his occupying the throne, is directly pertinent to the story of Jesus. But for other stories, it may be a little harder, a little less direct. But even then, there's always going to be some kind of a connection with Jesus. For instance, take the story of Daniel in the lion's den. Now, seemingly, that would not have a lot to do with telling us that Jesus is someday going to arise as a Savior. But when you look at Daniel's life, Daniel's life, and Daniel, remember, did not live in Israel, did not live in Palestine. Daniel spent pretty much all of his life in either the kingdom of Babylon or the kingdom of Persia that was to the northeast of Israel. That Daniel's entire life in the Babylonian and Persian kingdoms was a part of God's miraculous preservation of an identifiable Jewish nation. And it was from that identifiable Jewish nation that Jesus would later arise. So even the stories that don't mention a lineal descendant of Jesus, or that seemingly don't have anything to do specifically with Jesus, even those stories are going to have some kind of relevance, some kind of application to the ancestry attribute that I'm thinking about with respect to Bible stories. What are you thinking about when you talk about unity? Well, I'm referring, when I think about unity, to exactly what you mentioned earlier about the Bible displaying a remarkable degree of unity, even though it was written by dozens of human authors over a span of nearly 1,500 years. So when I think about the attribute of unity with respect to a particular Bible story, I'm wanting to understand how that individual story fits in with the larger story, the grand story. That may be the most interesting approach. Next time on Anchored by Truth, we're going to continue with our study of David and Goliath using the approach that R.D. outlined in this episode. So next time, we'll be looking at some of the historical underpinnings for this very famous story. For our prayer today, let's listen to a prayer for persecuted Christians who need deliverance in our day, just as the Hebrew army did from Goliath and the Philistines. A Prayer for Persecuted Christians Father of comfort and deliverance, you are a merciful God and you have abundant compassion for those who suffer and are afflicted. Lord, we come to you to pray for our Christian brothers and sisters who are being oppressed, imprisoned, beaten and killed because they belong to you. We grieve for them and we cry out to you on their behalf. We know that you will never leave or forsake any of your children and that you know their sorrows better than we will ever know them. 
yet we cannot remain silent, and so we plead with you to grant healing and release for them all. Help us to know what we can do to be a voice for those who cannot speak for themselves, and give us wisdom to know how we can help them. Help us to be generous with financial support, persistent in prayer, and committed to their cause. Cause our national leaders to act to improve their lot in accordance with your will. Raise up leaders who are willing to stand for you without compromise or flinching. We pray that you would cause the release and delivery of those whom you would have delivered. And for those who remain in suffering, be a powerful presence in their lives. Grant them the peace that can only come from your special touch. We long for the day when all your people will stand united at your feet and where the tribulations of this world will be far behind. We and all your people pray now and always only in your holy name. Amen. We hope you'll be with us next time, and we hope you'll take some time to encourage some friends to tune in also, or listen to the podcast version of this show. If you'd like to hear more, try out crystalseabooks.com, where we're not famous, but our boss is.